beyond excited to announce that I have partnered up with Magimix for this season of Crazy Sexy Food. As the inventor of the food processor, Magimix is a family-owned business that has an amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances and are cherished and adored all around the world by both chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. Fast forward to today and my beautiful Magimix cook expert is literally the most used appliance in my kitchen. This latest innovation is both a food processor and multi-cooker in one machine. It's a game changer for me and it's such a dream to use. I think of it as my personal sous chef. I give it all the hard work to get on with so I can focus on more interesting jobs like tasting, flavouring and serving up delicious meals. And don't even get me started on their ice cream machine, the gelato expert. It makes ice cream to rival even the best Italian delicacies. Oh, and if that isn't enough, come September, they're launching a new range of blenders. Fancy getting your hands on one of their products? Then use my code CSFMAGIMIX for a 15% discount at magimix.co.uk. Follow Magimix UK on social, download their brilliant app for hundreds of delicious recipe ideas and see how the amazing Magimix can become your personal sous chef in your kitchen too. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career and their favourite tastes along the way. This week I have an incredibly special episode for you all. My mum, Susan Young, joins me from her kitchen to talk all about her life and food what influences her cooking and her incredible childhood that will leave you gripped to the edge of your seat. I wanted to record this episode for several reasons. One, she's been requested as a guest for a long time. Two, she's my best friend. And three, and most importantly, given the topic of this podcast, she really is the person who taught me everything I know about food, eating well, how to choose fresh produce, mix flavours and spices, and techniques to making some of the most delicious yet simple recipes. Those of you who are lucky enough to know this dynamic woman will know what a firecracker she is. I love her more than life. She annoys me a lot, but I am who I am because of her. And so, mum, Susan, it gives me great pleasure to have you join me on Crazy Sexy Food. Well, thank you, Hannah, very much. I have been waiting for this moment for quite a while, but I guess you're waiting for the best till last. Of course. It only took seven seasons. So we're here, um, you, you're not in the family home, We uh, you sold that at the beginning of this year, yeah. so we're not in the kitchen that I grew up in, but one thing that I think you're very talented at is you make a house a home. How do you do that? Um, well, I've got the basic bits and pieces that I've bought over the years in various sale rooms and antique shops and Portobello. And they're all unique and different. It's not your sort of Ikea look. And I think that when you buy something that has character and you mix it up, for whatever reason, it somehow it works in any environment. I agree. So 
I always start my conversations with asking you, what did you have for breakfast today? This morning I had avocado and my favourite thing in life, tomatoes, um, on sourdough with a little drizzle of olive oil and some sea salt. <laughs> You've been having that for years. Yeah, it's a beautiful breakfast yeah. and it's super healthy. Oh, I had a poached egg on top as well today. Of course. <laughs> so this does, it's not that this feels weird, but obviously, you know, I'm kind of, trying to interview you while still being your daughter. But I really want to sort of get across to people that you you are the beginning, the present and the end to my relationship with food and particularly my knowledge. And I guess I wanted to ask you, why was it important for you to educate me about food from such a young age? Because I remember growing up and I just, my relationship with food was very different to those of my friends. Well, I grew up um, as a child. My mother had a private nursing home for elderly gentlefolk in this in Norfolk, and so whenever we had meals, particularly at Christmas time, there was always a huge amount of people. So we had about twelve old ladies and old and old gentlemen, plus the family. So there was always big cook-offs going on, and from a very early age, I started helping my mum. Um, doing the breakfast in the morning for the old dears, um, helping her to prep for the various Sunday lunches, uh, Christmases, Easter's. So we, the, I was always involved somehow within the, the the cookery part of the old people's home, and there was always something being prepped. So I was always going into the larder and seeing sort of um, lettuce in in water bowls in in those days, um, and you know chickens being cut up and you know uh, steak and kidney pies being made. So um, I grew up with, with a lot of food um, cooking going on from a very early age. Plus, my grandmother and my grandfather, grandmother and my great grandmother were enormous cooks as well. Ah, okay. So the food that was being prepped at the the old people, the, the, the nunnery, was Nana making that? She was pretty much, yeah, wow. the whole lot. Yeah. And, and looking after everybody as well? Well, we had people working there to sort of, you know, clean up right. and, um, and assist. But no, she pretty much, um, the cookery, the cooking was all hers. I mean, we prepped the breakfast the night before, all the trays would be laid out. I loved doing that. And then in the morning, I'd put the toast on, put the eggs, <laughs> and I'd take them round to, to each room. It was like a little hotel. It was fabulous. Sounds lovely. So I want to take it back a little bit. You were born in London, um, and then you were taken to Iran for a couple of years, and then you were brought back to the UK. And I know that this is a, a, a sort of private joke in our family, because I'm about to give you that space now to finally talk about your childhood life story, which I know dad and I always make a joke because you always like to tell anybody, but you know, <laughs> it is an amazing story. So explain to everyone listening about your childhood and try and as much as you can kind of link it back to the food um, yeah. as much as you can, but start from the beginning. So my mum was a nurse in um, Orpington Hospital, um, went to the local dance and across the room were um, a load of foreign students who were also going out to have a bop um, and the there were some Iranian uh, boys there who were incredibly handsome they were well dressed they smelt beautiful they had elegant um, and one of these boys took a liking to my mum and she took a liking to him and they fell madly in love his name was Jaffa and um, an affair ensued they fell in love 
um, and they um, got married and had me, um, which was quite a difficult thing because my father came from a fairly strict Muslim family in Iran. Um, and eventually, after they'd been living in Kilburn for some time, and they were dealing with a lot of racism at that time, mm. because um, the, it wasn't just racism against black people, it was against anyone that wasn't white, it was Irish, gypsies, anything. It was, it was pretty awful. And my father felt that he couldn't take it anymore and decided that we should all go to Iran to live where the lifestyle would be easier and more comfortable. And so I think when I was about four or five months old, I was taken out there and I lived there until I was about three years old. So that was quite a big move for my mother because she converted to Islam, she changed her name. Um, and she moved in with my with uh, my father's family, um, and uh, wore the um, hijab and tried to become a good Muslim wife. But she really struggled with it. It was a very different lifestyle. There were other difficulties in that I was very sick when I was out there, and my mother became very concerned um, about my health. And she decided that she, after some time, she really wanted to get back to England, but it was a problem for her to get out because my family didn't want me to go. But they were for happy for her yeah. to go. Um, and so eventually my mother somehow managed to get our passports back and she'd also become pregnant for a second time with my sister and she was very ill as well. And eventually it was agreed that um, my, me, my mum, by the way, my name was Manager in those days, um, not Susan, that's my middle name. <laughs> um, my mother got the passports back, she came back to England and went and stayed in a guest house in Bexhill-on-Sea to give birth to my sister. And then an unusual thing happened in that period, she gives birth to my sister and in the next room of this guest house is an incredibly handsome young man from Stockport, who weirdly enough had just come back from Iran he was soldering all the gas pipelines out there and you know he was like a rock star in those days they were earning something like 500 pounds a week wow anyway across the breakfast table they just fell madly in love um and my mum was very reluctant to go back to iran because we'd all been so sick she found it difficult to become a traditional muslim wife and she just was concerned i think about health a lot the lifestyle for the women out there at that time and the difficulties within the family so this affair ensued um, in, in Bexhill-on-Sea, and one day, her and my, then my, now my stepfather, run away. He, he and my mum, and me and my sister, who was six weeks old, disappear. And from that day forth, my name was changed from manager to Susie Walker. And from then on, we moved around the country quite a lot in a variety of different, um, houses and old people's homes so out of curiosity um your mum's brought you back to the uk um she's also pregnant with angie my auntie your sister so your first words were they farsi or Absolutely. were they english when i when i arrived um in england um when i was about three um i didn't speak a word of english and apparently my mum used to leave me with my grandmother and my grandma would be pulling her hair because she'd be, you know, I'd be saying like, Ab Micham, Ab Micham. And she'd say, what's Ab Micham? And say, I want water. So, um, no, I didn't speak a word of English. And 
did I mean obviously you know we're dealing with such a young age here I can't imagine do you have any memories of Iran none none so where's your father where's your real father at this point my real father stays in Iran um, and when he realizes that my mother has um, disappeared us um, he sends private detectives to try and find us and the family have decided that they will not allow him to come anywhere near us because they were scared that he might try to take me and my sister back to Iran. Um, so um, I, I, I didn't have any contact with him at all until the divorce papers were handed over but when I was about you, 10. But were you aware that the, that the man your mother was with as no, you were going into sort of like not your really. early teens? No, Did you know who's your dad? I didn't know that I wasn't Susie Walker and I did not know that Johnny Walker was not my father. I thought he was my father. Although there was always some very funny things going on, I would often hear my mother and my grandmother whispering in the corner going, Jaffa, 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 we've seen Jaffa. And I was like, why are they always talking about these oranges? Because we used to, it was a luxury in those days to have a Jaffa orange, which we only had like one or one a week or something. And so there was, there was this constant thing about Jaffa. Well, eventually I found out that was my dad's name. My Iranian father's And how name. old are you when you found that out? Um, well, I'd, uh, I'd, I found out that I was not who I thought I was when I was 13. And I came back from tennis one day to find some flowers in the fridge. And I said to Mum, what are these? It was an old gas fridge, by the way. They weren't very hot. And my mum said, darling, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. You're not really Susie Walker. You're really Manager Kulahi. I'm marrying Johnny Walker today, who is your stepfather. And your real father is Jaffa, and he is in the bazaar in Tehran. Um, and uh, if you if you want to, I have his card. And I was just gobsmacked because I, although things weren't great with my step with my dad, or who, 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 who I thought was my dad, uh, it hadn't occurred to me that I had another father, a real father. How do you process that at the age of thirteen? Anger. Uh, vowing to get away from the environment I was living in because my stepfather didn't like me. Um, and I was always the bold one who um, questioned him um, about his very, very difficult behaviour towards all of us girls. Um, and I didn't like the way he treated my mum. And so from that day forth, when I saw the flowers in the fridge, I made a vow. One, I'm going to leave school as soon as I can. And two, I'm going to get out of this house. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Before we take it to the next chapter, I just want to ask you about the food growing up. Because although there was not really that Iranian... Um, the Iranian do cooking doesn't really play a part because obviously you'd moved back to the UK at such a young age. But do talk to me about what you were eating. You know, this is the 50s, early 60s when you were a child. Well, so the food that my mum was cooking in the old people's homes was always the traditional steak and kidney pie, shepherd's pies, you know, that kind of thing. But there was an exotic side to our family because I can remember being taken to Norwich to go to an Italian restaurant to have spaghetti bolognese, which was pretty wow. off the radar in those days. But even more exciting than that, my mum would try to reproduce Persian rice with tomatoes and she, instead of a, a kebab, she would make, she'd get a little hamburger and, and mould it in. And we would have that. And she'd bake the tomato and she'd lay the burger on the rice no. with loads of dollops of butter. And I loved it, but 
that was the nearest thing that she could make us, something like uh, rice and kebab. That's so... And you didn't question that? Because I assume your friends were I just thought we were very exotic. We we were, you know, we were avant-garde. That's (laughs) so interesting. So I know I'm fast-forwarding here and... I think if people want to hear the full story, you will be writing a it's book a big one story. day. Um, so they'll need to wait for that. But you eventually do do exactly what you said to yourself, which was take that vow and leave school, you know, reason quite early. And you came to London and you come to London at a very young age um, and explain the job that brought you to London. Well, <laughs> I just want to explain one thing. I was I moved around a lot uh, between... Um, coming back to England to when I left home because my mother was trying to protect me and sent me off to my grandparents uh, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, who lived in North Norfolk. They were in the antique business. But also, when I was eight years old, I was sent off to boarding school Mm. um, because my mother thought that that would be better for me um, rather than the bullying I was getting with my stepfather. So by the time um, I left boarding school... Uh, it wasn't a very good boarding school, and I flopped my GCSEs. Um, sorry, my I flopped my 11+. plus. Um, but whilst I was at boarding school, I had three extracurricular activities. One was ballroom dancing, one was <laughs> choir, and one was elocution. Now, my elocution teacher was the biggest mentor in my life. She told me I had a talent, and I really believed, after I'd taken all my Lambda examinations, I was going to become an actress. So the reason I decided to move to London was to pursue my dream of becoming an actress. And I couldn't think of how I was going to do it. I couldn't afford to do it. I didn't know. I just wanted to get to London. And one day, my mum said, I've just seen an ad in the newspaper. They're looking for bunny girls at the Playboy Club. Why don't you try that? And I went, what a great idea. (laughs) So I come to London, all dressed up in my best um, Bay City Rollers outfit, baggy trousers, furry little crop jacket. Um, And they decided that they liked the look of me. But in fact, they didn't want me to be a waitress. They wanted me to be a croupier. Um, so they gave me a maths test, which I failed. <laughs> and then they said, look, we like the way you look. Take this home, study it, and come back next week. So I memorised the test, came back the next week, and guess what? I got in. Um, and so I moved into London when I was 18 and, and became a blackjack dealer. Amazing. After six weeks of training. Wow. And, I mean, this is what, the early 70s? This was about 79, 78. Oh, OK, so late 70s. Please tell me what it was like in those days. Because obviously the Playboy Club has now since reopened about yeah. 10 years ago. It's obviously but not it, what it used to it, be. But it's not really the Playboy Club. No, it's, it's not. It's not in the same... That, that uses bunnies. But, but it's not in the same... Is it in the same no, location? No, no, no. So, no, that's... you know, that was su- must have been such a glamorous job in its day. Well, it was very hard work. I mean, you, you were sort of working all night long, all dolled up with your hairpiece on and your, and your stiletto shoes and, and your outfit. And... Then you had your social life, which started at three in the morning and went on all night. I found it quite exhausting, actually. I mean, I only stayed there about four months, but um, it was it was it was fun. It was really fun. And what was your name whilst you were? So each bunny girl had to have an individual name, and as there already was a Susan, um, it was a time of Superman, and I decided to call myself Lois. I love it. And I love it, I weirdly love it. enough, sometimes I can be in any <laughs> random place. And if somebody come, walks up to me and goes, Lois, I genuinely know that they w- worked with me in the 70s. I There's love not many that. of them around. <laughs> and I have to say, if you ever get the chance, not that you do play cards, but you are one of the best shufflers I know. I'm you really still good at got shuffling. the skills. Yeah, yeah. And I'm quite good with the chips as well. <laughs> yeah. 
So around this time, you are now in London. You're, you're definitely not going back to Norfolk. We no, know that for sure. No. And you immerse yourself in Iranian culture. You, well, you get yourself an Iranian boyfriend. Yes. Now, I, this is where things get, for me, very interesting in your life. Because so, you sort of go full circle in a I way. I do, because when I discovered I was half Iranian, all I wanted to do was learn the language meet Iranians I wanted to understand where I came from I always felt different and I didn't know why and it kind of slotted a lot of things into place when I found out that I wasn't English um, because I always felt different and I had behaved slightly differently and uh, <laughs> badly um, but um, th I met this this very handsome Iranian boy uh, on the dance floor of a club called the Valbon in the 70s and it turned out that he was an Islamic art dealer and a diamond dealer well that was kind of catnip for me because I love the <laughs> antique world and um, on our first date he said I've, I'm falling in love with you uh, Suzanne I, I don't want you to be bunny girl I want you to be Islamic art dealer I went fine <laughs> handed my notice in the next day and I became an Islamic art dealer with him and um, then we were spending a lot of time going backwards and forwards to Iran and I managed to get to Iran for the first time in my life oh. and I just I felt like I'd come home it was in my DNA now you were going you started going back to Iran this was pre-revolution pre the regime so yes. this is in Iran that perhaps a lot of people won't recognize oh, nowadays my goodness. it was decadent there were best nightclubs the best um, nobody not many people or oh, younger people were definitely not wearing hijab they were all absolutely dressed like westerners you uh, you know short skirts um, makeup hair fabulous nightclubs fabulous parties fabulous shopping everything was absolutely fantastic it was like the Paris of the Middle East and I obviously need to know about the food because at this point tell me had you I mean obviously you you've met your boyfriend so I yeah. assume he's obviously introduced you yes. back into Iranian food yes talk to me about that and I just absolutely loved it in fact Johnny was the one that showed me how to do some basic Iranian cookery but when I went to Iran that was when I blew my mind I can remember going to an amazing party one night and literally there was a table it must have been about 80 foot long from one end of the room to the other. And it was absolutely laden mm. with rices and choreshs and kebabs and salads and pomegranates. And oh my God, it was unbelievable. And I just remember walking around this and the beauty of the presentation, mm. which was uh, just, uh, I've never seen anything like this. I'd only ever seen steak and kidney pie with a bit of gravy <laughs> and mash, you know, or a bit of roast chicken and some roast potatoes and stuffing. The beauty of it, and I just, I just had never seen anything like it. I didn't know there was so much beauty in food. Yeah. And the flavours and the exciting, your taste buds were zinging all the time with the limes and the sweet and the sour and the rices and the meats. and Oh, it was mind-blowing. So you're, you're back and forth. You've now got into um, this incredible world of the antiques business. Mm -hmm. When was the last time... So you then went back to Iran, was it after the revolution? The last time I went back to Iran was after the revolution to see my father. Um, and then, in fact, that was the last time that I saw him. He was um, having some difficulties, um, obviously, with what was going on. He wasn't very well. He was a very nervous man. Um, I think that he'd lived to regret some of the decisions he'd made in his personal life over the years. And 
Um, he was a bit of a hypochondriac, but as it turned out, he actually wasn't very well. Mm. And um, and he passed away, I think, in 84, no, yeah, 1984. So um, I didn't know him for very long. Um, and after he passed away, I kind of, um, I, I went that one last time to see him after the revolution, which was pretty scary. Um, and then I've never been back to Iran since. And do you feel like the, the, the short time that you got to spend with him, do you feel like you got to say everything that you wanted to say and spend uh, and... No, because in these situations you don't. They're so no. highly emotional. The first time that... So I wrote him a letter when I was uh, 16 or 17 to my father. I had his address. And within the two days of the letter being sent, he wrote me a 10-page letter, which I still have. Yeah. It still makes me emotional when I read it. And it's just said, my darling, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. I have so many regrets about what happened and I love you and, and Angie so much um, and, you know, wanting to know what I was doing and, you know, whatever. And um, and then he flew over two days later and it was very emotional. I think it was more emotional for him than it was for me because I didn't understand You also the, didn't know him. You didn't know yes, him Yes, but I'd never, I didn't understand the love of a child because uh, I didn't have any children. Okay. I was only a, a teenager. Yeah. Um, and, and then he continued to be part of my, a big part of my life until he passed away. It's, I mean, it's just the most unbelievable story. Mm. And I have to say, even as your daughter and his granddaughter, and, and as someone, as, as we know, who really has um, embraced that part of my life, I feel very... Uh, I feel gutted that I never got to meet him because I'm sure that I would have. He was, got he was on utterly, with him. utterly charming, sweet, lovely man, and you know, from his family, he was the only. He was the youngest son who was educated in England, um, and so I don't think he really fitted in so easily when he went back to Iran, mm. and especially it was very uncomfortable for the family that he'd married out. Mm. So there were lots of complex situations, and I think he had a real turmoil within himself with the decisions that he'd made, uh, with the, the decisions he didn't make, yeah, like not coming back to England with yeah. us or letting us go. So all in all, I think it, it contributed to him to having a lot of mental health issues, mm. sadly. I mean, he was 54 when he died. Yeah, very young. Mm. Before I bring it back to the food, I just want to sort of, in terms of your career, just bring it up to sort of present day. Um, and, you know, I'm really fast forwarding here, but you eventually call it quits with the, the Iranian... The naughty uh, bad the, boy. The naughty bad boy oh, Iranian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, one, that, that exhausted <laughs> that me. End, that, that ended. Did. Yeah. Um, and uh, time passes. You eventually meet dad. Yeah. Um, and then you end up taking on... Uh, you're still a your jewelry designer by this point. You're doing the antiques Antique restorations. Yeah. You then take on dad's photography business. Where does this business acumen come from? Well, that's a very good question because I'm of the belief that it's inherent gene pool. So my family in Iran are traders. Mm. They, my father worked in the bazaar. My uh, grandfather, who came from Tabriz, was um, originally a hat maker. And he became a very successful textile merchant, I believe. Um, and he became very, very wealthy. And 
and he was, you know, a, a very simple man, um, you know, not um, highly educated, but, you know, he was a very, very good trader. And he was a huge philanthropist as well. I believe that when he passed away, 50% of his wealth went to the poor for libraries and hospitals. I also think it's just that Iranian, that Iranian business mind. Well, we all, it, we're all, you know, hustlers. It, and... it, it, it definitely is in the gene pool because I, although I have to just tell you that I t mentioned before, I spent a lot of time being shunted backwards and forwards to my grandfather and my grandmother. Mm. My grandfather was um, from Bethnal Green. And no, he was, I didn't know that. He was a Jewish um, antiques dealer. So I grew up in antique shops. He had antique shops in Hunstanton, Dersingham, Watton, all around North Norfolk. Mm. In fact, he was a bit of a lovejoy mm. from, from that area. So I grew up all the times that I was living with them in their antique shops. And he, my grandfather used to te taught me to how to become a dealer in a way. Wow. And he, he loved it when I would ask about, you know, the Victorian pieces or the Georgian pieces or the Edwardian pieces. So I think there was a little bit of, bit of that influence, but 100% I think it has come from my Persian genes. Absolutely. Now, we are obviously here to talk about food. Yes. Your life story is, is truly incredible, and I promise you I'll never make a joke with Dad about it when you've had a couple of drinks and you want to tell anybody that will listen. <laughs> But I'm also happy that I finally have it on record because I do sometimes okay. get all the details a bit mixed up. Right. So I know that we can all say that our mums are the best cooks, but you really are, honestly, mum, a pretty phenomenal cook. And, you know, I know that friends say it, family friends say it, you know, you really are. And I, you know, who or what has influenced your cooking? Because you go above and beyond as a home cook, I think. So... When I got taken out of boarding school, which was horrendous, and went to dissectary modern school, I had a real struggle mixing with the kids, because as I mentioned, I was, um, um, you know, I was playing Beethoven on the piano. I was doing my elocution classes, um, and I spoke differently. And when I went to dissectary modern school, it was a very different ball game. So I was, I wanted to mix in. Now we we all had. Um, different things that we could do it wasn't ballroom dancing or <laughs> or choir or elocution i was offered needlework and domestic science wow and the boys were offered woodwork and metalwork <laughs> i kind of wished i could have done the yeah, metalwork i was gonna say anyway i did the domestic science class and i went there i was about 12 and it was fabulous because we had our own little station mm. and we were given the ingredients and we just had to bring a bowl um, and there was about 12 or 13 of us girls and the teacher showed us how to make a Victoria sponge cake. And I can't tell you the joy that I felt when I made that cake. And it looked so good. And I remember walking all the way home with it to my mum and presenting her. And she went, oh my God, darling, this is absolutely beautiful. Aww. And then I continued with my domestic science classes because we did steak and pies, we did all of the different things. But what I loved was taking it to my mum <laughs> and the pride she had and the enthusiasm and the joy that it brought her. I think that my love of cooking goes to the praise and the ah. love of the person you are cooking for. I think it just reassures me and makes me feel wanted and clever um, and amazing. 
I, I think I, it must I, be something I, to do with that. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that. There is some, there is something about the pride when someone eats your food and that, and that and initial say, that response. That was delicious. And be like, oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. And it could be the simplest yeah. recipe, yeah. which are always sometimes the best. But I just want to flag up another thing. The oh, other don't thing that was say very that. important. I, I, don't, I just want to flag up. <laughs> Private joke between us, but oh. it always scares me when she says okay, that. Okay, Lizzie, flagging it up. <laughs> Um, I just want to mention that one of the other things that was really, really important for me was even during my very mixed up childhood, we always had family dinners. And that was something I brought to the table with my family. It was very important that we ate together as a family every day. And once the kids grew up and we couldn't do it every day, we did it once a week. Every week we would have one dinner a week with the whole family. And that was the time where everyone gets everything off their chest. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many tears, how many arguments, how many bust ups, always around the table, but everybody gets their problems out over the table. Whether If you ring them up and say, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. But you get them on the round the table with a real good meal and everybody opens up. Yeah, and that I, was part of my, my, my food love as well. I absolutely agree. I, I, and you've instilled that in me and that's what I mm. do um, in my house, even though I don't have kids yet, but I do it even with Liam. <laughs> don't, don't no, do it. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> this is going live. So I must ask, um, who are some of your favorite chefs? You know, because I remember quite a few key cookbooks as well growing yes. up that you used to sort of not necessarily um, uh, follow word for word, but that definitely influenced well, you. Well, I, I always loved Delia um, as a classic um, basic, you know, cookery. Yeah. I mean, she's always someone I fall back on. I, I really like Nigel Slater. Oh, yes. um, and I also... Um, have a lovely Iranian cookbook that I love and I can't pronounce the lady's name her, well her first name is Naima and it's bat bats bat bat I know I know who it is it's very old school yes I it's from know. 1992 <laughs> um so other chefs I, I I take a little bit of inspiration from all of them I mean I'm a big collector of cookery books I love Claudia Roden mm. I love Marcella Hazan um uh, Nigel Slater I've mentioned um there, there are so many actually yeah and I guess what I'd like to ask, as someone who is, you know, a home cook, do you think that cooking is a skill that you can learn over time or is it a talent that you either have or you don't have? A skill you learn over time. I didn't go to the kitchen on day one and, and was able to produce, you know, an amazing meal. No, it's definitely practice, practicing yeah. it. Yeah. Talk about um, some of your specialities at home. What do you love making? Well, I do do quite a bit of Iranian cookery, but it's so exhausting. When I have people over for an Iranian, <laughs> it's like secret whispers go around. Everyone hears around it about it, and suddenly there's 10 people. Can I come? Can I come? Um, because it's, that's a three-day cook-off if yeah. you do it properly. Yeah. And it's, but it's, it's really rewarding because it's so delicious. Um, I quite like simple, basic food. It's all about the product for me. Yeah. You know, if I'm having people for dinner, I will spend half a day sourcing my meat, my fish, my fruit because it has got to be the best quality. Uh, and so I, I think that that's what it's all about. You can make simple meals, especially I use a lot of herbs and oils and uh, chili, garlic. So, um, and, and I, I don't always follow a recipe either. Mm. You know, I've got that from you. Yeah. I'll read it. Yeah. And then make it your something own. that you've always taught me, you know, taste as you go along. Yeah. 
um, and then you can adjust it to yeah. what works for you. Yeah. I mean, there is one staple dish that we must talk about, yes. but only very few listeners are going to know what this is, and it goes by the name of favorite pasta. Yes. Now, this is probably, aside from maybe some of your Iranian dishes, favorite pasta is probably the most defining dish of my childhood. All the children, <laughs> all of my kids love, always say, coming for dinner, what, 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 what should I make? And they say, favorite pasta. Can you tell everyone what oh the original, what's the original recipe? Because it's, it's, it's gone through different okay, shapes. I, I found that recipe on a card <laughs> in Sainsbury's. And basically, it's a tin of tomatoes fried off in olive oil. Um, and then you chuck in, it used to be cream, now I use a bit of yogurt. Yeah. Parmesan cheese. <sighs> um, and then I just throw it on top of some penne with some mozzarella, yeah. and then bake it in the oven. But it's, it's phenomenal. The, it's the crispy top, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then sometimes... Sometimes I put a bit of chorizo. Well, no, well, back in the day, it used to be the cheap sausages. Do you remember the yes. frankfurters? Oh, my God. Yeah, how, how we've Not going to lie, though. They, they were still quite good. Yeah. I'd sometimes nibble those I often cold. think it's really these simple things that just yeah. really touch your soul. Um, I think something else that you've also been incredibly talented with, and I'm sorry that it took about 20 years for you to stop doing this, was your packed lunches. Uh, um, I would like to just talk about a particular anecdote, uh, which is that I, would I, I, I would say I wasn't, wasn't that I was a fussy child, but I was quite... Yes, you were. Oh, okay, I was a fussy child. Um, <laughs> Very. <laughs> really? I just yeah. knew what I liked. You were. Anyway, um, and I didn't like the school lunches, so you no. would make me a packed lunch. I did packed lunches for 25 years <laughs> with all my children. You should write a cookbook dear on packed audience, lunches. Dear audience, please feel my pain. <laughs> but the point was, work. this was not, you know, two slices of white bread with a bit no. of ham in it. No. This was gourmet sandwiches. And my particular favourite one, but there were two sandwiches you used to make. One was when you'd make that delicious... Um, it originates from the south of France. Pan bagnette. And it's basically oh, a tuna niçoise in, in a, a sandwich. In a ciabatta. And, and you'd make it overnight. Yes, and put a weight on it and it would all go squidgy. But then I'd Very smelly, but very delicious. And I'd open it up in, you know, those old school wooden desks at school. And so it's the girl to the side being like, poor Hannah, what's that? <laughs> and it'll be garlic and shallots. And... Um, by the way, I once made that for Richard when he was going flying to New York on a job. I, I made him a packed lunch and exactly the same thing happened. He said he opened it up and he said the whole plane stank <laughs> of this uh, tuna sandwich. Another particular favourite was when you used to, when you introduced me to because I had a weird relationship with cheese growing yes. up. Do you remember I only ate parmesan? Yes. I think you used to make me parmesan sandwiches. Um and then I eventually moved from parmesan to brie because yes. that's what you do. And you'd make me these brie sandwiches with this this delicious onion chutney. Onion onion relish. Oh my god. Nice and smelly. Oh don't, especially on a summer's day. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know, those those for me make up but you know the beauty. that that those memories will live with you forever forever and ever yeah. and one day when i'm you know long gone you will live on those food memories yeah, of, your, of your all your family's life absolutely i must ask you talk to me about your relationship with food i have a very good relationship with food i grew up as a very chubby child and so um i I was always trying to sort of diet and stuff like that, but I was never very good at it because I really loved my food. Um, Story of but life. the one thing that happened to me in the 70s, I met an American girl who was a vegetarian. Oh, my I'd God. I'd never heard of one of those before. <laughs> and she introduced me to vegetables. Um, and so from a very early 
period in my life, I was very aware of getting into healthy eating. Um, and that was a real eye-opener, actually, because I'd never heard of people that only ate vegetables. Mm. That was like weirdo. weirdo. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. now, you know, you've got vegans well, yeah, and it's, it's so changed. But I've always tended to veer towards keeping it more veggie-based. Although I do like, I mean, I'll have, you know, a bit of steak you know, once a month. Um, I'll eat but, you fish. know, you're buying a good piece. But and you're I in... only buy great quality yes. proteins. Yes. Always. Actually, always great quality fruit and veg as well. Yeah. No, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I've learned about you is don't skimp on tomatoes. No, no, Tomatoes, no. you've got to spend some money on some yes. good tomatoes. And you know how lucky we are. There's some fabulous tomatoes yeah. out there now. yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, that I just can't believe it's taken so long to get, you know, continental tomatoes in this country. Mm. Back to the Iranian food. Mm. What's your favourite Iranian dish? Caviar. <laughs> For God's sake. <laughs> that you make. Okay. Well, <laughs> we know it's I, caviar. I love all of the Iranian dishes, that, and there's none that I don't like. But the one thing I particularly love is the Iranian starter, which is the oh. flatbread with sesame seeds, and then you serve it with um, Iranian feta cheese, which mm. is delicious, walnuts, radishes, tarragon, mint, um, any herbs you fancy, with a little bit of the uh, mustachia, which is the yogurt with cucumber and garlic and dried dried mint and rose oh, petals. Shame. And then the kashia badamjoon, which is the pureed aubergine, with, again, with a little bit of garlic and oil. And that, for me, I could just eat a whole plate of that. Me and too. when I have a dinner party, I have to, I have to ration it. Because <laughs> she does. usually people <laughs> will just eat that and then they've got no room for the rest of the three-day prep. Do you know what, actually? I feel like we should do a meal where you just have that for I know, dinner. I because know. It is, it, it's that slight pressure of yes. you want to eat more of yes. it, but you, that you can't yes. because you know you've got a whole feast yes. coming. And actually, yes. I really want to just enjoy the starter. Yes. I think we should do that next time. Okay. And when you do find yourself out and about, and again, this is also something that I've been very privileged in my life, is that you and dad did get, you know, you did take me to some incredible restaurants growing up and I got to understand not necessarily what fine dining was, but, you know, that the pleasure of eating out is still for me the biggest pleasure and I'm sure it is for you. But where are some of your favourite restaurants? So um, Iranian-wise, I absolutely adore Kate. Yes, which is phenomenal. Still which haven't is, been, and it's which is really interesting because I don't think any of the chefs are actually Iranian, but the food is absolutely off the radar. Um, I also like Le Petit Maison, which I haven't <sighs> been to for a long time. Hint, hint. Um, and I used to love San Lorenzo. Um, it's where you met Dad. Yes, where I yes, where I met Richard. Um, I've got lots of favourite restaurants, but I I find that um, I. T- I tend to eat in more because guess what? It's really difficult to improve on what I cook, I and I don't mean is... that in a big-headed no, way. No, no, no. But it's I get true. disappointed when I go out, I, and I actually Wilton's is really good if you like that sort of. I still haven't been there. Oh, hint, hint. It's, it's, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, and also you can't beat a good Chinese. Yes, good earth. I love. Is that still haven't been there? Hint, oh, hint. Okay. God, look all these places you go to without me. It's unacceptable. <laughs> so I finished my. Uh, chats with a few quick fire questions. Are yes. you ready? Yes. Okay. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Um, I think it was maybe in Tel Aviv once. I was out and we were eating fish and I was told that I had to suck the eye out of the cooked oh. fish. And everybody was doing it and I just... Uh, to this day, I can't even look at a fish I cooked without <laughs> just going... Mm. That's a delicacy in some I know, cultures. I know. 
What has been your most memorable meal? I think this is a difficult one. You've had I've some got amazing a lot. ones. Um, I think my my wedding dinner at Langens Brasserie um, was pretty awesome because Richard Shepherd uh, looked after us so beautifully. Um, my memorable meal also is another place is a restaurant called the Belle Reve in Joan Le Pan on the terrace. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> favorite place. I really love it there. So, as I'm sure you know, and I think you were the original person that knew this because you used to um, ration me onto one packet uh, a week, but my favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. Yes. What is your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Cheese and onion. What? I know. It's the most terrible taste, but there's just something about it that just really, really, if I'm feeling a bit low or I've got a hangover, I, I, you, you don't know this because it's my dirty secret. Ah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think I you sometimes... kept secrets from me, Mum. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> um, so I will, I will nip into a, 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 a newsagent and I, will, I will, and I will only eat them on my own. Right. So are we talking like a walkers? Yes. Mum. I know. I love them. I'm really shocked by that. Really? I thought that you were more of just like quite simple, ready-salted yes, kettle chips or something. Actually, do you know what my favourite crisps were? When I was a kid, you'd buy your packet of crisps and there's a little packet of salt oh, inside. Oh, salt and shake. And you, you yeah. opened the salt and you and then, the, then you got to the bottom and it was really salty. Yeah, yeah, love it. What food sums up happiness for you? Caviar. <laughs> Truffles. <laughs> Expensive taste. Caviar every day. Yeah. It just can't. It just hits the spot. How do you eat yours? I like it straight up. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not very keen on too much. I'm, I don't want onions. I don't want egg bits. Um, I want just a big tin with a spoon and a tiny little bit of brown hovis. I like yes. the hovis bread. Um, with, the, with the crust cut off. With the crust cut off. Um, oh, and a squeeze of lemon probably. Um, but I prefer to eat it all on my own. Right. I don't want to share. It's funny because you could have it halfway around the world and I'll still sniff it out. And I always seem to find You're my... caviar sniffer. I seem to find myself at yours every time there's a tin lying around. I, I, I am also pretty addicted to truffles as well. Truffles. Final question, and I think the most important. Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. And is that just because there is no other way to live a life? Because I don't think there's anything more pleasurable than enjoying a beautiful meal with your family or your friends in any occasion th uh, throughout your life you know everyone is joined together by food yeah you know whether it's a christening a wedding a funeral it's all always Absolutely. food is involved in it always. and often a lot of booze as well <laughs> really coming from you susie <laughs> well listen this has been it's been a bit weird, but also really, really special for me to do this finally with you. And you, I just Hannah. want to say thank you so much for allowing me to appreciate food in the way that I think we all should be able to. And for teaching me all the best parts about food and cooking. And honestly, I just don't think I'd be sitting here today recording this podcast had it not been for you. So thank Aww. you so much. Thank you, Hannah. And I've got to say, you uh, turned out to be a pretty damn fine cook, mate. So. Although she does come by and a, a bit of constructive criticism, <laughs> but we don't mind that. It, you wouldn't be you without it. <laughs> no. no, but I'm a little bit worried you might be taking over my mantle. Yes, well, well, someone's got to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mum. Thank you, Hannah. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Until next time. 
thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.